Musical Theater Writer Guy is recorded as a YouTube channel series on Muncie Lenape and Canarsie Lands. The audio from each episode is also released here in podcast form. To watch or to learn more, please find us on YouTube or through my website at michaelraddy.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-A-D-I dot com. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the interview series, Writer Real Talk, where I sit down with writers and other originating artists in the theater industry, and we chat about stuff that is musical theater related. Today on the episode, we have Amy Andrews, a writer friend of mine who we met less than a year ago, which feels crazy to me because the amount of time we've spent together... doing work and a course and like the way that we have just bonded I don't know I feel like I've known you for five years I feel the same yeah but it was uh such a delight for Amy to enter into my sphere when I was putting together the first cohort of my flagship course way back in February March (laughs) and uh I'm so thankful that you did enter into my life so please everyone welcome Amy Andrews Hi, hello. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm happy you're here. It's always a delight to see your face and to hear your thoughts. And now I get to hear even more of your thoughts today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So for our audience who may not know you, would you give us just a quick little uh, rundown of who you are, how you identify as an artist and what people may know you from? Sure. Yeah. Um, I am Amy Andrews. She, her. Um, I am a writer primarily, um, a musical theater librettist and lyricist. I also do dramaturgy work and story consulting. I also do a bit of producing. Um, I also am a big, I like, I, I wear a lot of hats. I've worn a lot of hats. There's a lot, there's just a lot of hats going on. Um, <laughs> I run a project and the co-founder of a project called Women in Theater, um, which is an advocacy organization that started out, we just were brand new baby project. We launched in January. So we're coming up on our one year anniversary. <gasps> so exciting. Um, so exciting. Um, we started out as a blog and uh, launched the Women in Theater podcast in October. And it's just the idea is to raise up the voices of women and non-binary folks in musical theater in all areas of the industry at all levels of their career and to start to uh, work on breaking down uh, some of the barriers that we continue to face in the industry. So important. Um, Such good work. I love it. And I do that project with my co-founder, Haley Goldenberg. Um, And yeah, what else do I do? I don't know. I do a million things. I'm a parent. That's important. That's a big one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is a big role that I play um, in and out of the industry. I have a four-year-old daughter. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm a lifelong learner. I like to to like you, Michael. I like to uh, take classes and constantly challenge myself and such. Um, what people would know me from? I hope you know me from the Women in Theater Project because we're uh, we're kind of a, a little big deal. Um, and if and... you don't listen to the podcast, you absolutely should because it's <laughs> so you. very good. 
Thank you. It makes me so happy, this project. It's like, it's stupid how happy it makes me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another big thing that I've done in the last year is that I I wrote a um, 15-minute musical uh, episode of this series called So Proudly We Hailed with New Musicals, Inc. out of L.A. Um, And the piece that I wrote, The American Dream, gosh, launched online in February and then was produced in the Hollywood Fringe Festival over the summer um, where it was nominated for a pick of the fringe. So oh, heck yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Um, and that's a piece that I that I worked on with um, fabulous Costa Rica-based composer Isabel Guzman. Um, yeah, and I have a bunch of other little projects here and there in the works, but that's, that's me in a nutshell. That's so much. That is, so you much. You do so much, Amy. I do, it's true. My husband says he loves when people um, ask him what I do because he's like, oh, Amy does everything. She has like five jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's is true. not a lie. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. And you're so prolific, too. Like oh, you, my gosh. Thank you. You you say that you're a lifelong learner, and I've I've watched that. I, I see you challenging yourself all the time. But it always just results in you doing more that is just, it's just higher quality, right? Like, you just, you learn, and then you do more things. And then, I, I don't know, I'm impressed with the amount of output that you you bring to the world. It is, it's Thank it's you. good stuff. It's really good stuff. I appreciate that. Well, and like the secret sauce is the lifelong learning, right? Like mm. I just, I, I put myself in situations, like in classes where I have deadlines, because like if I don't have deadlines, <laughs> I won't write. And so I've like put myself in classes and then I write and then I like have material that I've written. So that's literally, that's that's the sauce. <laughs> yeah, but you know, to have that self-motivation to do that in the first place and then it's adhere true. to those deadlines... It's good. That's good stuff. I appreciate it. (laughs) Ah, All right. So I've got a question for you. Um, Mm. Because as as a musical theater writer, you entered into that realm from the word side. Mm -hmm. And you've recently delved in from the music side (laughs) as well, for which I'm very proud of you. Thank you. And I'm I'm curious to know if that uh, colors this question at all. And I ask everybody this, but uh, what musical theater writers work? Do you have a tendency to gravitate toward the most? Mm, yeah, that's a tough one because there are so, there are so many good ones, you know? There are. <laughs> there really I mean, are. I think, you know, I think we all gravitate toward the ones we grew up with. Um, and so for me, what did I grow up with? I grew up with Les Mis a lot. That's mm-hmm. like, I'll be honest. That's the thing I grew up with. I grew up with Stephen Schwartz a lot and Leonard Bernstein. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of in terms of people whose work I gravitate toward right now, mm-hmm. I got to say, like, doing the Women in Theater Project, like, all the new writers that and, like, up-and-coming writers and writers who are more established in the industry who I've encountered are just, like freaking phenomenal and they're working on such cool stuff so Mm -hmm. like I've been I I mean just to name a few that we've interviewed recently that I really love their work um Lynn Schenkel and Sarah Cooper I'm big fans of um I saw their new show uh Perpetual Sunshine and the Ghost Girls at NAMPT this year and it was it was freaking phenomenal it was so cool um music and words and concept and the whole thing um 
I really am into um, Isabella Dawes and Tataya Sinutok. They've mm-hmm. got a couple of new shows they're working on and they're doing like really cool things with instrumentation and with like a thing, a thing that I love about their work that I think is very like simpatico with the stuff that I want to do is that they are very into like finding out about specific cultures like uh, traditional modes of storytelling and Mm. letting that influence the work that they write about that culture. I'm very into like, yeah, just the roots of storytelling, you know, like storytelling as a long uh, oral tradition of people sitting around campfires and telling stories. I'm super into that. Um, as you know, (laughs) we have these conversations, we have, and we will again, I'm sure. Um, we also spoke with, uh, Rachel Covey is a a writer who's, who's come into my orbit in the last couple of months. And she, like, she has a lot of things going on, but there's this one project she's working on that I'm a little obsessed with. That's Mm -hmm. this, she found this book of found maps that are like, just like little maps that people like drew as scribbles on the back of receipts and stuff and and like have been collected into an art collection and she's writing a song cycle about it I've heard some of the songs from it and it's it's fascinating it's just so like it's just so human you know it's really cool yeah oh that's so neat okay where where do you find these people these new voices like, how do you go about searching them out because I know a lot of people ask me that question of yeah. like where can I hear new people um yeah that's a great question um it's I mean the theater industry is not very big that's the thing it feels like when you're first coming into it it feels very big and very daunting and very like oh my god where do I find new people and then if you just start poking around and like getting involved and like uh, and stuff, then it all of a sudden you keep encountering, I think, the same people over mm. and over again, which is kind of nice because it yeah. it feels um, it feels more manageable, you know, than just like, oh, there's this this whole world of, of theater and you find your people, you know, I mean, right. how I've connected with people is a lot through friends of friends, um, through recommendations from people I love and whose work I respect. Um, I, I, unfortunately, because I'm a parent, um, I don't get to go to a lot of like performances because babysitters are expensive, um, and life logistics are what they are. But when I do, I love to go see, you know, readings of new shows or concerts of new work, um, stuff like that. And that's a good way that I, that I meet people. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of listening and having conversations with people. Yeah. Yeah, And just being interested in people, you know, I mean, you know, because I kind of like, like picked you to be a a friend because I think you're cool. (laughs) (laughs) But I do like when I meet people who I think are interesting, which like I meet people all the time who are fascinating because people are fascinating, right? Like I just ask them a lot of questions about who they are and what they do and what makes them tick. And that I have found is a really good way to find out about those people and like the people they know, too. That yeah, that is great advice first yeah. and foremost because uh, that is something that I find a lot of young people in particular have a difficult time doing. Of just they they freeze up and they're not sure how to get like the information out of the new people that they're meeting, and it mm. really does come down to that. It's just find find what you think is interesting about them and begin asking questions. You yeah. will learn so much, and it'll probably take you in directions you didn't even expect. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's a benefit of like getting started in this part of the industry sort of a little later on in my life. Like I'm not right out of college, so I'm not. And I remember being right out of college and feeling like I had to hustle and do that like professional networking and and all of that. And the older I get, the more I realize that it's really just about meeting people and making relationships with people. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we're going to talk more about the whole getting into the industry (laughs) a little later on, but I I think that's a really great point that um, networking really just comes down to you met someone and you had a conversation and that conversation usually leads to something else, either more conversation or you meet other people that they know. And that's, that's how things work. It's just connecting at a basic human level. Yeah. Yeah. I also, and I think that's true in all industries, but like, especially in theater, because the work that right. we do is, is kind of personal, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. I also think though, just to, to talk you up for a moment, that that's <laughs> part of what makes the interviews on your podcast so good is the two of you have such a clear interest in getting to know people. Oh, and then it thanks. just like, it brings out such vibrant conversation and it makes for, you know, really lovely and deep interviews. Like, I don't know. There's something well, lovely about you. it. Thank you. Haley makes fun of me because after every single interview, I'm like, oh, my God, I love this person. Oh, I just, I love her. I love them. Like, oh, I want to be best friends with them. And she's like, you literally say that about every interview. But I feel that way. I genuinely do. And, that, and I don't think it's because quality. we're like, and I, I don't think it's because, because I've had people say to me like, oh, where do you find these people who are so brilliant and so talented and so like, so just so interesting, you know? And I'm like, I, I don't know that they're any more interesting or talented or amazing than anyone else. I think, I think just people are interesting, right? Like if right. you sit down and talk to them, I think everyone is so interesting. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I'm with you. I'm in that camp for sure. <laughs> so this is why I, I love doing these interviews because yeah. I love the people who I know and have met. And I there's so much that everyone has to offer the world. And I really enjoy yeah. just like digging around in everybody's brain a little bit and be like, hey, what you got? <laughs> totally. Um, lovely. So I've got a question that's a two-sider. Okay. And you can define in your career as you see fit okay okay but uh part a of this question is what what have you seen as your biggest challenge thus far in your career and the flip side of that is uh what what have you seen so far as your greatest success Hmm. it's an easy one (laughs) um (laughs) yeah the biggest challenge is imposter syndrome just hands down. That's what it is. Um, right to the heart, Amy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's the thing that holds me back in this industry is myself. Like that's, Mm. that's the only thing that holds me back, you know? And I, I really believe like, and I, I think in the theater industry, even more so than in other industries that I've been exposed to, like, you can do whatever you want. Like you can build the life that you want to have and the career that you want to have if you can get out of your own way. (laughs) Yes. So that's the biggest challenge for sure. Um, And the biggest, um, what was it? When, what was the language? Success. Greatest success. The biggest success, yeah, is um, 
is community, the biggest success. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been a big journey that I've been on in the last few years. And we can, I think we will get more, more into that. But I think one of the things that I've done well, and that has certainly been the most helpful thing in just making me feel like there's a space for me in this industry is to find my people and to build relationships and to, yeah, surround myself with people who believe in me and will help me hype myself up, you know, and, and who will, when I'm feeling those imposter syndrome gremlins on my shoulder will be people who will say to me like, no, Amy, you're an idiot. Like you're awesome. (laughs) 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 Maybe not in those exact words. But yeah, I think the the community is such an important part. And it's, you know, the theater industry is both big and small. I just said it's super small, but it's also, it can feel big, but it's about finding your people. It's about finding your corner of the industry. So, Absolutely. That's oh, the win. those are fantastic answers. I mean, oh, I will. Okay. I have multiple thoughts on this, <laughs> Okay. Um, but I do want to point out that that remedy of community for those moments of deep imposter syndrome, I feel like I have seen for people just how useful that is. I mean, it's one of the reasons that, <laughs> you know, we build affirmations into our feedback process because having your community there to reaffirm for you what you do well is a great way to combat that. And I also want to shout you out because you are always (laughs) getting me right where my imposter hits and (laughs) (laughs) constantly uh, reaffirming for me the things that I do and do well. So I appreciate you for that. Oh, well, I'm so glad right back at you. (laughs) That community. community. (laughs) Um, Well, and shout out to the community of writers that you are building online, the musical theater writing collective which has been I I mean it's it's just in its infancy and I'm so excited to see what it's going to grow into because it's really like you got good people we do have good people (laughs) it's good I like so much being being in there it's a nice community yeah it is um out of curiosity do you have any other nuggets and don't feel don't feel pressured on this but do you have any other nuggets for people to help combat that imposter syndrome because I know that everyone kind of deals with it in different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a matter of finding of finding what works for you, which is a which takes time, you know, mm-hmm. to figure out what works best for you. For me, when I'm feeling imposter syndrome, the things that help are reaching out to a friend and saying, "I'm feeling this way." Like sometimes just naming it helps. Um, taking a break. Like if I'm banging my head against a wall and being like, this is no good, then like I'll go take a walk around the block. I'll like go make myself a, a cup of tea, you know, <laughs> like just just taking care of my body and my brain in that way, which is hard, yeah. um, especially in these like busy, busy lives that we all live. Um, what else? Um, and just doing stuff, just like if I feel like, oh, I... I'm a terrible writer, then just like sit down and write something and prove myself wrong, you know, Mm. and that's probably the hardest one. But I do, I do try to like, in addition to classes, I try to find other just like all of the accountability hacks that I can for my life, like literally right before this, um, getting on this call with you, 
I was on this other amazing resource that I found recently, the London Writing Hour, which is just um, uh, every day they have like a few hours during the day where you just like meet and it's an hour of writing and you just like do it. And it's great. It's totally low stakes and it's free and it's, um, Mm -hmm. it's a space where you just show up and write. And so that can be really helpful in getting out of my own way. That, those are really, really great responses. <laughs> um, yeah, y'all, you just got some good advice on imposter syndrome. Um, well, and community-wise, one... I think a thing that's helpful for me with imposter syndrome is knowing that everyone goes through it and that it's not just me. Like, yes. it's not that I'm bad at writing. It's not that I'm bad at whatever I'm trying to do. It's just that it's part of the process. Right. Yeah, that's a great point, too. And I think that's one of the things that I really love about listening to other people in the industry talk about their careers and themselves, because whether or not they end up naming it as imposter syndrome, I think pretty much everybody brings it up at some point. Um, I listened to uh, the entirety of Ken Davenport's podcast, and he has interviewed people from top to bottom all throughout the industry, a lot of famous people, a lot of people you'd never have met otherwise, and everyone <laughs> at some point in those interviews hits on imposter syndrome, and it's something that, it's universal. you know, it, it really is, is. And it, well, and if comforting. I may, in, on the topic of resources, um, it's, This idea is from Elizabeth Gilbert in her book, Big Magic, but she has this thing. She's talking about fear. She's not talking specifically about imposter syndrome, but I I do think it's kind of the same thing in this instance. She talks about life as a road trip and like fear is coming with you. Fear is coming on the road trip with you. And so the way that you deal with it is to make friends with your fear and say, hey, fear, I get that you're coming with me. I get that you have a purpose. I would love for you to join me on this road trip, but you're not allowed to drive. And like, just set those boundaries with yourself and with your fear. And so I try to think of imposter syndrome like that. Like it's not going anywhere. So how much can I recognize what it's doing for me and like allow it to just like be part of my life? (laughs) Yeah, that's smart. And that's a great resource. Um, It also reminds me of uh, the book, My Friend Fear as well. Another good resource for anything that pops up that you're like, great. Yeah, this scares the crap out of me, which, you know, is a lot of where imposter syndrome comes from. You're you're just scared of, well, generally multiple. You're scared of your success. Yeah, that's for me. That's what it is. That's a big one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What what happens if I take this label for me? (laughs) Like, oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So here's a question. What I'm going to shift these next two questions just a little bit. Okay. What um, piece of writing of yours gives you the most pride? Hmm. Goodness. Um, everything I write, I'm really proud of, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Because it's all, you know, there's all the imposter syndrome and there's all the, like, it's just, it's so hard to write. And like writing, I mean, it's an excuse and it's also a real thing. Like writing as a parent, like every moment I can get to write is a treasure. And so everything that I create, I'm so proud of. And I hope I always feel that way. Um, I'm really proud. (laughs) I took... um, 
as you know, I took this kind of insane journey this fall. Mm -hmm. um, I took this class through Dramatist Guild Institute with um, Adam Guan, who's amazing. Love him. Um, and it was a songwriting class and it was writing a song a week, music and lyrics, which was like so far out of my comfort zone. <laughs> like, I had barely dabbled in writing music at all, like since college. And I just signed up for this class and was like, well, guess I'm going to do this. <laughs> and it was wild. And I did. I wrote a song a week for 10 weeks. And um, okay. I like some of them better than others. But like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm so proud of all of them and like the work that went into them. Um, I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of the American dream. Um, it's, mm -hmm. It was really cool to have a work of mine produced. Um, yeah. And it was a really good collaboration. Issa and I really, we worked together very well and I hope we'll work together again. Um, but, and, and uh, the person whose story that we told, because those, those episodes were based on like a person's life. So ours was based on uh, a Navy, U.S. Navy veteran, Brenda Garcia, um, who was just such a phenomenal talk about like interesting people. Oh my God, I could listen to her talk about herself all day. And I did a lot <laughs> in, in preparing to write that piece. Um, but that was a really, that was a really special one. But I do, I feel like everything that I write is so special and I'm so proud of all of it. And I, I hope I always feel that way. <laughs> Uh, I mean, what a beautiful answer. And uh, two things I want to reflect back for for the benefit of the audience listening. Number one, that idea of really treasuring the the moments where you have to write, because we we do all have lives that are busy for any number of reasons, and those moments truly are special when we gift ourselves the moment to write. So I think yeah. that's beautiful in and of itself. And then the other thing is, and I don't think we talk about this enough, but the idea of being proud of everything you write, whether or not you like it as much as other things, is important. Like sometimes you write a piece and you feel like that's not very good. <laughs> but I'm still so happy that I just wrote that. Yeah. Like I brought something into the world and it's okay that it's not good. Maybe yeah. I'll leave it there and maybe I'll continue it. You know, there's yeah. but the pride. I love that. <laughs> it makes me happy. Yay, me too. Slight shift in the question. Because okay. now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you, you, you say one. Yeah. Is there a song that is like a favorite song of yours that you've written? One mm. that you look back on and you're like, yeah, yeah, I really like that one. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The one that comes to mind is actually, um, yeah, it's one of the ones that I wrote for this class and I think it's really good and I don't know that it's ever going to like turn into anything, but I really like the song. It's a song it's called, um, going to be a good day. And it was the, the assignment for the class was, um, he gave us a newspaper article that was about, um, the Illinois state fair, mm. uh, and this karaoke competition that was happening, like statewide karaoke competition. And it was all of these like really fascinating characters, like in the way that only real people can be fascinating <laughs> yeah. characters, you know? And um, basically the assignment was, okay, you have all these, you have like this situation and all of these colorful characters come up with a concept for a show and write a song 
that like illustrates the concept for the show. And so the character that I was writing for was this woman who um, she was like this, like the big karaoke deal in her small town and was going to the state uh, championship. And she had just lost recently her boyfriend of many, many years and like was kind of dealing with the loss and also kind of grappling it well in my concept was grappling with like okay I'm like moving into this new stage of my life who am I going to be like how can I use this loss as a um an impetus to make brave choices and like Mm. step into myself you know step into my power I really like writing stories about women stepping into their power. It's like, that's my sweet spot. (laughs) I'm really, I'm really proud of it. And I was also like very aware in writing it of like my uh, privilege and to a level disconnectedness of like being a white woman writing from the perspective of a black woman who lives in a small town in Illinois, which like, that's not my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I think I was able to get to some like, universal um just feelings that certainly resonated with me and I hope resonate with with people who listen to the song which is available on YouTube yay uh (laughs) what's the name of it it's called uh it's gonna be a good day it's gonna be a good day so if y'all are curious go look at it on the YouTubes (laughs) oh that's lovely um I you had not told me that story so that was really cool to hear about what a fun assignment I like that one. Yeah, yeah. Adam Gong gives good assignments. <laughs> you, you've <laughs> talked up that class a lot. So, hey, y'all, if you really want a, a songwriting class, look for where Adam Gong is teaching his next songwriting class. I mean, I got to tell you, like, Adam, I, I like, ugh, this is not Adam's interview, but let's talk about him anyway, because I do freaking love him. <laughs> he, he took me from when I was like a baby writer and I was like, I can write stories like that's a thing that I have a lot of experience with and can do but lyrics like oh that's so far out of my comfort zone and he like took my hand and like taught me how to write lyrics in a couple of different classes and then when I was like oh you know I can't write music he like took my hand and like (laughs) not always in a gentle way (laughs) but um but really like helped me overcome these these barriers that I put up for myself you know yeah so, yeah. yeah, that's beautiful work. So shout out to Adam Guan, y'all. Go take a class. Yeah, go take a class with him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more question before we dive in here. Now you had mentioned Lame is <laughs> early on, but I'm curious: is there a show that made a tremendous impression on you? That looking backwards, you're like, aha, that that affected me as a writer. Oh, that's interesting. Um. I wouldn't say that Lame is super affected me as a writer, to be honest. Uh, affected me in other ways, but maybe not as a writer. Um, let's see. Big shows that I remember being very influential from my, like, not even childhood, but, like, early adulthood, like sure, high school, yeah. college, right out of college. Um, Wicked was a big one. Spring Awakening mm. was a really big one. Mm-hmm. Um, Next to Normal was a really big one. Yeah, I like... Um, I think I liked those shows. Um, well, and actually, yeah, all three of those, because they deal with really serious topics. Um, and 
I was raised on the classical canon of musical theater, which like sometimes gets into serious topics, Mm -hmm. but is often like, often shies away from complexity, I would say. Doesn't take the deep Um, dive. Yeah. And I really like taking a deep dive into complex topics and serious topics. And I really like doing it through the medium of musical theater because I think it's, it's kind of a trick, right? It's like, oh, you showed up hoping to have a fun, entertaining, fabulous time, <laughs> and you will, and you will, and it will make you think. And it will make yeah. you like, like maybe insidiously get in there and change your outlook on a certain thing or like, like introduce yeah. you to an experience that is not your own and like increase your empathy. Like that's, mm-hmm. I'm really into musical theater for a purpose in that way. And I think, yeah, those shows that I mentioned really kind of introduced me to the idea of doing that, you know? Yeah. Yes. I'm with you. And I, I think we share a a common interest in what, what we do with our writing and what musical theater can do as an art form. And it, those shows that you mentioned, like they were all influential for me in different ways as well. Um, and I think Unfortunately, as time passes, a lot of younger people look back at the shows of that time period and like, ah, they're also surface level. And I'm like, but no. <laughs> but they were, yeah. But at the time, yeah. Right. And like, yeah. sure, have, have shows gone deeper since then? I think that some absolutely have and pushed the boundary even more. But like, yeah, I mean, you gotta start somewhere. Yeah, it's the Sex and the City conundrum, right? Yeah. Like, Sex and the City has not aged well. But no. at the time, it was revolutionary. Yep. Yep. And yeah, like you said, you got to start somewhere. Got to start somewhere. Speaking of starting somewhere. <laughs> what a segue. Excellent segue. What a segue. <laughs> <laughs> I am a master of segues. Um, <laughs> so our main topic today, it really is about how we get started professionally in this industry. And I know that you have a lot of thoughts on this. We've, <laughs> we've talked about it in part. We have. But don't you worry, audience, we, we've saved the deep conversation for today. So for sure. there are so many like <laughs> places we could start this conversation from. But I think just based on what we've already talked about, I'd love to to use as our entryway that idea of kind of the the scrappiness of self-starting and what that means and maybe what that journey has looked like for you as someone who you've already considered yourself someone who is emerging late. Now, I don't think you're emerging late personally, <laughs> but I see I see what you're saying. So I, I feel like you've got a good um, recent thought process here on how you went about finding information and, and getting yourself started. Um, yeah, no, where would you like to begin? I don't know. Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, I guess, just for a little bit of background, I guess, on on where I've been coming from as a relative beginner <laughs> to um, <laughs> to this world, um, I guess we get to define where we are as a beginner or whatever as we'd sure. like. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with musical theater, like I grew up performing and I went to school for performing and I graduated and 
came to New York and was like, oh, this audition lifestyle is not for me. And also I have a giant mountain of student debt to pay off and that's not going to happen doing this. And so I left the industry for a bunch of years and um, worked. I had actually, while I was auditioning, I had had a survival job doing sex education. And so I kind of fell into that as like a, a real job, real people job. <laughs> um, and I worked in, in nonprofit communications in the world of sexual and reproductive health and rights. Um, and then I came back to writing when I was pregnant with my daughter mm. because I just like... I was so overwhelmed by the like, oh my God, I'm creating this life inside me and my whole world is about to change. And I was like, I just need something that's just for me. That's like not about me as a parent, but that's just for me as a person. And so I revisited creative writing, which was a thing I hadn't done since I was a child. And um, yeah, and and so the last, and so I, I had my daughter, I ended up leaving my job. I ended up... Um, building this scrappy freelance uh, career that's like some musical theater and some not and like kind of a mishmash of a lot of things of five different jobs or whatever. Um, <laughs> but um, but it was very much like, uh, so I was coming back into this world that I knew, but not from a writer perspective. And I was coming in as the mom of a teeny tiny person. Mm-hmm. My time was very limited. My ability to be places other than my home was very limited. Um, and, you know, when when I was looking around the industry, I was like, oh, it seems like the next logical step is to, like, go do BMI or, like, do a, a grad program in musical theater writing. But I can't do that right now. Like, that's not part of my reality so what can I do? What can I do is basically where I was approaching it from. So that looked like a lot of, um, you know, signing up for one-off online classes, mm-hmm. um, a lot of reading books, reading really great books and using like shout out to the New York Public Library because like my yes. entire theater career has been courtesy of the <laughs> New York Public Library, I think. Um and, you know, and, and, you know, I like classes cost money and uh, having a, a young child, I'm, I've, you know, not necessarily a lot of money to spare. So it was a lot of like talking with, um, with schools and figuring out like, oh, could I TA this virtual class in exchange for like something off tuition or yeah. could I like find financial aid sources or whatever, um, and so just kind of doing what I had to do and, and being an advocate for myself. And I think also becoming a parent taught me a lot about being an advocate for myself because I've had to be an advocate for my child um, mm-hmm. in ways that like, I don't think I was very good at that before becoming a parent. And I've gotten a lot better at it for myself and for my child. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah. What, when you talk about self-advocacy, can you give us a, a general rundown of the ways in which you mean that? Because I think that can look like a lot of things. And I think it's also a concept that scares a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, because it's really scary. It <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I was coming from a world, you know, like I, well, maybe you don't know, but I grew up, you know, a good little Jewish girl, model minority, like do well in school, go to college, do well in college, like 
join, you know, get a, get an entry level job that pays well and gives you health insurance and work your way up, you know? And it was always like in school and in career, it was always a lot about like waiting for other people to create opportunities for me because of the excellent work that I was doing. And a big shift that I've made that I've had to make and that I'm really glad that I've made has been into like, instead of letting other people create opportunities for me, how can I create those opportunities for myself? Like if I want to, if I want there, if I want to connect with other women and non-binary folks who are working in theater and I want to hear their stories and I want to make friends and I'm not finding a way that's like helping me to do that, then mm-hmm. like I'm going to create a project, like I'm going to find a like-minded person and create a project to do that. You know, right. if I, if I want a story to be told and I don't see it being told, then maybe I'm the person who needs to tell it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> You're right. That is a, a scary concept, but boy, is that just so necessary? Um, Cause oftentimes the things we want to be happening aren't happening because we haven't done it yet. Right. Exactly. The idea that like no one is coming to rescue you, like you, mm-hmm. you have to create your own opportunities. And I will like shout, speaking of shout outs, shout out to Marlo Hunter and Marlo's freelance artist manifesto bootcamp, which mm-hmm. I stumbled upon toward the beginning of the pandemic. And oh my God, Marlo, Marlo changed my life. She really did. Her class shifted my my mindset around my creative work and like it was the first time that I had heard and it seems so elementary but like it was the first time that I had heard that the things that make you money don't have to be the things that define you you know Mm -hmm. and that you can build a life that looks how you want it to look and like these are the things that make me money and these are the things that bring me joy And they're not like one isn't above the other necessarily, you know, like they're both important and I can make them all work together, (laughs) which is a process, which is hard. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Just want to quickly say that if you are watching this before the end of the year 2022, um, Marlo is doing a four week version of her bootcamp specifically for this audience for anyone in the the musical theater writing collective or in our general community so uh head over to michaelrady.com and take a look because that it, there are limited spots and it's a four session version it's going to take place in january so if you are interested i mean you just got a, a really great <laughs> testimonial from amy just there, yeah so. and i mean i mean michael did not ask me to plug this i, I should didn't. say i am <laughs> making my own choice to plug this and I do like if you're at all interested please sign up because it's oh my god it should be required for for every writer for every creative it's such a a hugely important it has been such a hugely important um work in my life taking that class yeah highly recommend (laughs) that that mindset shift is so important and you know finding opportunities to to take workshops and courses like that where you can get those fundamental like um not just uh mindset shifts where your creativity is concerned but your general well-being as a human who is an artist I think they're pretty few and far between so um I applaud you for having taken that initiative yourself but also for introducing me to Marlo in the first place (laughs) yay I'm so glad it worked out yeah 
And um, oh, there was something else I was going to say there. What was it? Mm, no, it's gone. It'll come back. Okay. Um, speaking of resources, though, how to find them? Hey, Amy. Yeah. So you you mentioned reading a lot of books. Oh yeah. And looking to take courses. Now, I will say for myself, learning musical theater writing, um, very much self educated for most of the early years, and. With the online sphere was pretty bare bones at the time I was doing this. So for me, it was books and pretty much only books until I t- did take the BMI musical theater writing workshop. Um, but uh, can you talk to us a little bit now that we are living in a world where there is more than just books available, how you went about the process of finding resources and learning how to do this thing? Goodness gracious. Yeah. Um, I will say like, I'm mostly book taught myself. I like, I'm not really one again, limited time and limited, like mental. I just like, (laughs) it's funny. I run a podcast, but I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't really watch a lot of like YouTube channels or anything. Cause I just like my brain right now, like parent brain is real. And like, if I'm listening to a resource, like I need to be only doing that I can't be like doing other things while I'm doing it and I just like don't have time so I don't do that a lot um but reading is yeah usually how I prefer to get my information um reading and like classes um so yeah I mean I literally I googled a lot you know I googled resources for learning how to write musical theater resources for learning how to write lyrics um things like that I found yeah New York Public Library I found a lot of books um, Are there any books you want to shout out? Oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. So many books. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of lyric writing, my absolute favorite resource is the, um, the preface of Oscar Hammerstein's lyrics collection. It's mm. the book is, is basically just a book of his lyrics printed. Um, but he wrote this, it's not very long. It's like maybe 30, 40 pages, this introduction to the collection and it is oh it is just genius um yeah the Sondheim books of course yeah. um for lyric writing for book writing and just like general musical theater structure which as you know is is a, a passion of mine um I really like Jack Beertel's book The Secret Life of the American Musical um mm-hmm. we've talked about that yeah. uh you and I have have maybe differing opinions on that but I think there's a lot in there that's really helpful um I'm looking at what's on my bookshelf right now <laughs> oh my gosh in terms of um mindset which I think is actually has been the biggest part of my journey is just like like coming to terms with the fact that I can be an artist and that I can identify as an artist um Brene Brown is my like Mm. goddess love her work um daring greatly completely changed my life like way before I started writing musical theater um Elizabeth Gilbert's book Big Magic is another big one um, oh, what's that book? Um, uh, ba, 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 Grit by yeah. somebody. Shoot. Um, yeah, we'll we'll look it up. No, I'm gonna look it up. I have to shout out. <laughs> have to shout out the author. Sorry, gotta do it. Um, we're in real time here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in case there's any doubt about the pre preparation. Angela Duckworth. Interviews. Angela Duckworth. Thank you. Um, yes, her book yes. Grit. Um, 
is terrific as well. Um, oh, oh my God, um, Bird by Bird. I was just about to say, and Lamont. <laughs> I love that book. That's a terrific book. That introduced me to a lot of concepts that I still use use very much, like every day in my in my writing in my life. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think those are some of the books that I really liked. In terms of, um, well, and also just like big shout out to reading libretti, listening to scores, yes. like that's. That's a thing that I used to do as a performer and certainly in college I did a lot of. Um, but that's like that's the most valuable thing. Like if 100%. I if I wanna know like if I'm stuck in a show and I'm like, how can I get myself out of this pickle I've built myself into? Like the answer is usually find other writers who've tackled similar projects and see how yes. they did it. So yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And in terms of um, classes, I think the pandemic has given us the gift of a lot more virtual classes than there used to be. Um, I came into some of the first classes that I took were through the Musical Theater Writers Collective, which is different from the Musical Theater Writing Collective. Um, But I started off there some terrific terrific teachers. I've taken classes through Primary Stages, ESPA, through Dramatist Guild Institute. Um, I think uh, Circle in the Square has some stuff. Also, Mm -hmm. a lot of like individual writers have um, workshops, like Marcy Heisler has a really great lyrics workshop. Um, Yeah. Yeah. A A lot of what you just mentioned, you are right, the pandemic opened up opportunity because a lot of that was in-person only. (laughs) If you lived in New York, you could take those courses. But now... if you lived in New York and you had a work schedule that allowed it, and you had the means to get physically to where you needed to be and the time to do it, like, it's Mm. funny. And and I was coming into all this as the pandemic was kind of starting, um, or like a little before, but like, as a parent, like I lived in New York, but I could not have felt more removed from all of these things. Like I just, I just couldn't, you know? And so it's like, it's unfortunate that it took becoming a parent to like reason the awareness of issues of accessibility, but like, here we are. And I am aware and I am a big proponent of working to make spaces accessible for everybody. And I think it's tricky and this is a different topic, but I'm going to go off on a tangent for a sec. (laughs) with your permission. Um, I think it's tricky, the issue of accessibility and theater, because on the one hand, I am a big, big proponent of like, like just increasing access to spaces and making it so that like, if there's an amazing show happening on Broadway, how can we make it accessible so that people all over the country and all over the world can see that show Mm -hmm. in a way that like, that they get the fullest experience possible. And also, one of the things I love most about theater and that I think is most effective about theater is the experience of being an audience member and like being physically in a room watching a story being told in community with other audience members. And I don't think we've quite figured out yet how to recreate that virtually. And maybe it's impossible or maybe it's not. I don't know. But like that to me is a big conundrum of our time. Absolutely. I mean, I've been, (laughs) I just had a conversation about this yesterday with someone else in the collective, shout out to Amanda Gola. And we were talking about that exact same thing of, uh, I, 
because I firmly believe that there are ways to do theater hybridly in a way that increases accessibility but doesn't lose the experience. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's like a replacement for live theater. No, I think it's a it's a plus. It's an addition. It's an and. Um, because uh, I agree with you. I mean, we need to be opening up access to to the product itself, yes, but also to everything that comes along with it. If you want to be a part of this community, this industry, you should be able to be. If you want resources, yeah. you should be able to get them. I mean, it's built right on into the collective in, in the heart of it. I mean, our cost <laughs> is low on purpose. And even then, like if you can't afford the cost, we'll figure it out and you'll get what you need anyway. You know, the, that should never really be stopping us. And I'm weirdly grateful for the pandemic in the way that it opened up accessibility because yeah. of the necessity of connecting through online space and um the kind of flexibility that that provided because even now there are more asynchronous sorts of courses you can take where you can do that on your time whatever yeah. time that is or isn't you can take <laughs> that and do it for yourself when you can and these things just were not widely available three and a half years ago. Yeah, it's definitely been a big benefit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wrote a show with someone in Costa Rica. We've Well, now we've been in a room together. But like, as of when the show was completed, we had not. Which, right. But we still wrote a good show together. <laughs> yeah, I think about the fact that the, the second cohort of the course... I've met none of these people in real life. Uh, and they are coming from all over. We have uh, someone who's in Canada, someone who's on the West Coast of the US, uh, someone who's in Australia. Like we are able to connect in one moment in time, but only because of the increased robustability of Zoom. <laughs> Thank God yeah. for that little, little change during the pandemic. What a joy. What I mean, it's such a joy to be able to connect with people all over the world. I mean, I think about, you know, when when I was growing up and uh, like, you know, I'm aging myself a little here. <laughs> but like when I was growing up and the Internet was kind of just becoming like it wasn't the monstrous thing that it is now. Right. But like you could be a theater loving person in some small town in the middle of nowhere and you didn't have your people. Yeah. And like, as someone who, like, I grew up a huge musical theater nerd of a child, but I had my people. And like, that was what made it okay. You know, like, I, I really feel for people. And I know, I know a lot of people who, you know, grew up and, and for college or after college moved to New York so that because they knew they could find their community here. And I think that's wonderful. And I love that about New York. And also, it's really cool that now we live in a world where you can, to a certain extent, find your people without having to, like, uproot your whole life and move to a new place that's yes. very expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel that on so many levels. I grew up in central New York in a town where the arts just wasn't that important. And I felt that very deeply. Um especially theater. Theater was not really a big thing there at all. And then in high school, I moved to Rochester, New York, 
where theater has uh, a place of importance and is given that kind of um, viewpoint where it, it was okay to build a community there. And so there was one. And then walking in, I was like, oh, so this is like, this is a viable thing where other people like do this. Um, and that completely changed the way I thought about theater yeah. and the arts in general. And I don't think I'd be here now doing what I'm doing had we not moved when I was in high school. Community, it's so important. You it's have everything. to see it to know that it's a possibility. Yeah. And it's, I, I mean, like when I was growing up, I saw people performing. And so that was why I was like performing. This is the way I can do theater. Mm -hmm. Not realizing that like that wasn't the place for me in the industry because that was the only, you know, option that I really right. saw. And having now connected with other writers and with, with people who work in all areas of the industry, I'm able to make a more informed choice about like, oh, this is where I fit in into Absolutely. this world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Having the, the ability to see what else is possible. What else yeah. is there? It's huge. Um, now, I know we kind of have touched on this a little bit, but I know that you definitely have thoughts about this. But um, we are both people who like to think outside the box a bit uh -huh. and like to uh, help shift things um, to create more accessibility or to create more connection. And so I guess my question to you is... Uh, where where are your thoughts at as far as providing more opportunity for ourselves, for the people we know, for the people younger than us or less experienced to to get here, to get into what we're yeah. doing and, and to, to build more? Yeah, um, I think a lot of it is about, let me think, I think a lot of it is about creating pipelines and opportunities for people who don't necessarily, who haven't necessarily had that community for themselves or that ability to see themselves within theater. Mm -hmm. um, so that means, you know, and it's an age old struggle, but like arts education is so freaking important and just exposing children to the arts from a young age so that they see it as, you know, not just a fun, like, thing to do on the side but as like a viable like this is a choice that you could make about how you want to spend your life um yeah. I think that's really big and then I think I think money I think the money piece is really tricky and yes. the fact is is that theater development is a rich person's game and it it costs a lot of money I mean we're talking about taking classes classes cost money we're talking about uh, living and like that's one thing that's great about not having to live in New York to write theater because living in New York is really freaking expensive and like for me I love New York so much like as much probably not more but as much as I love musical theater and like I never want to live anywhere else I aspire to be like one of the little old ladies with my head down like that hobbling around the streets of the city <laughs> that's my aspiration um but yeah like like ways helping people find ways to support themselves while they are pursuing their art. I think that's a big struggle in a capitalist society because we, when we are taught that our worth is in how we make money, it really devalues our art and it makes yeah. it hard for us to personally value our own art and the time we spend creating it, which I think is a shame. Um, 
So that's, that's a big thing. And like along those lines, once people are in the door and, and working on things, I think we just, we need better ways for shows to get developed. Like, yeah. and, and it's tricky because we want to be uh, equitable and we want to be paying people who are working on theater what they're worth. And one of the wonderful and challenging things about theater is that it takes so many people, right? Yeah. It's such a giant <laughs> collaboration of so many people and all those people need to be paid for their work. Mm-hmm. And also as a writer who doesn't have a lot of money, who's trying to get your show up, like, how do you do that? Where's the support right. for that? So I want to see more support for people who are like really entry level coming into the industry and from all like, and not just for baby geniuses out of college, you know, (laughs) like for people who are coming into the industry who are older, for people coming into the industry who are parents, who have disabilities, who like come from a cultural background that is underrepresented in the theater industry. Like I want to see that work happening because that I think is how we truly increase the diversity of stories being told mm. in theater and make it like I personally I'm on a soapbox here but that's okay no I it's a good soapbox keep going <laughs> well I personally think that theater like it's a cultural mechanism right it's a reflection of who we are as a society and too often we're seeing the same stories being told over and over again or the same perspectives on stage and if we can create this groundwork that helps raise up people from different backgrounds, from different perspectives that aren't heard so much, like that's how we can make a theater industry that more accurately reflects back to us the society we live in. Yes, (laughs) 1000%. Yes. Oh my God, you're hitting hitting at all like my core beliefs about theater and the ways to move forward. Well, this is why we get along. (laughs) This is 100%. Yeah. (laughs) like truly can spirits yeah you know it's been so exciting for me meeting people coming into the collective who have these projects that they're working on because they're like they're all projects that I'm like yes the world needs that we don't have this yet and you're (laughs) writing that and that's phenomenal and I want to help you develop that because I want people to see that because we don't have that story yet yes that's the whole freaking point of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and, you know, like, obviously, with the collective being so young, still, that there's only so much I can offer to help people out besides information and resources, which I'm not downplaying, obviously. But, but that idea of, I'm very excited by the idea of um, being able to use this online space in which writers gather in order to like, hey, let's do a reading of your thing, where you don't have to hire a space, We've got a virtual space and we've got people who can help out and we we can make it all happen for a lot cheaper and just get your thing moving. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's do it. Why why not? Um, you may not have the means or the know-how, but amongst all of us, we do. Yeah. So there's there's I mean, you can tell I just got really excited about all that. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's good. Well, and it's good that we like have, you know, relationships that we have this community of people who do get excited about these things and who yeah. want to help each other. I think that's, you know, they're, because of the scarcity culture we live in, people are like writers 
feel like they're in competition with each other and like we're not I'm not I mean to a certain extent we are because that's how the industry is set up to make us feel but like the stories I'm writing are not the same as the stories that you are writing and there's room for both there's room for all of it you know Uh, it's truly uh, a rising tide situation in not yeah. some game. And unfortunately, it so often gets pitted in that other direction. Like quick anecdote here. Uh, this was uh, just before the pandemic started, like the month before the pandemic started, I had done a uh, writer producer speed date event. And um, the show that I was using for this event was The King's Legacy, a story about Anne Boleyn, but also touches upon the other wives of Henry VIII as well. And I heard two things constantly from all 11 producers that I met with. And they were, well, can we do this? Because Six is coming to Broadway. I was like, we aren't, these are very different shows (laughs) touching on very different things. So yes. But then the other thing was, and you ready for this, Amy? I'm ready. I don't, I don't think you're ready. I kept hearing in this phrasing too, but the market's already so saturated with women's empowerment stories. Oh, fuck off. I'm <laughs> sorry. Can I swear? You can. Now we get the explicit rating. <laughs> oh, sorry. You can cut it out. But, no, that's good. Go but for it. no, that is that is my genuine response to that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Women's empowerment. This, I wish <laughs> this did not need to be said. But women's empowerment is not a commercial property. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's what I have to say on that topic. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, you know, when you get responses like that, it's so clear how ingrained into the industry competition brain is and zero sum. And we don't have to live like this. We don't have to do that. Let's just not. Let's just, like, let's just not. Let's just help each other, right? Precisely. Let's just lift each other up. Let's yeah. just do it. Yeah. Because we can. There's yeah. nothing stopping us. Yeah. Well, except for potentially wanna... money flow. But hmm. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. And that's that's a problem that we that we need to address. Um, and that we, like, like, we working collectively as an industry, like, to bring it back to what we were talking about before, about being scrappy and like mm. creating your own opportunities. These are things that we as writers need to not be waiting for some innovative producer to come along and make things happen for us. Right. We need to be creating these spaces and these opportunities for ourselves. I think mm-hmm. I feel very strongly about that. Yeah, and we, we've had conversations, uh, the two of us, and also I think within our first cohort, we talked about this a little bit as well, just uh, other ideas, other ways in which money can be gathered that maybe our industry doesn't do or has not yet codified, but but yeah. are still possibilities at least to explore. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a lot to be learned from other industries. There's a lot, mm-hmm. there's, there's just, there's a lot of untapped resources. It's funny for a bunch of creative people, we can be super short-sighted when it comes to money, <laughs> right? Like we just, we, we do tend to, I, I think there's not a ton of places in the theater industry where we fall into oh this is the way it's always been done because we are mm-hmm. creative people and we want to shake things up and do things in a different way and move mm-hmm. the culture forward but yeah when it comes to money boy is there a lot of this is the way it's always been done so this is the way it must always be done and it holds us back it really does it does i'm with you there yeah yeah and um 
just to bring that together with something else you had mentioned earlier about uh, money not equaling the value of the art. We also have this weird, like, whole cultural idea and belief that live performance of art is somehow less than, which makes no sense to me because all we do all day especially in this modern world, is consume art, right? No one looks at a, a Netflix show and says, oh, that is less than, and the people who helped create it are less than. No, we just binge it, right? We sit down and we binge that art. We consume it and we don't feel badly about paying for it because yeah. it's a thing we enjoyed. We could consume it and great, happy to pay for it. But there's something about live performance where we have culturally obtained this idea that if you are an artist who makes live art, you are somehow, I don't know, tricking the world or you are somehow less than or your art is less. I don't know where this comes from. Well, I think part of it is about the elitism of theater prices. And sure. like theater prices have ballooned out of control in the last 10, 20 years, more than that. Yeah. Um, and, and to the point where it is, it is very inaccessible um, yeah. for a lot of people. Um, and also like, it's the history, right? Mm. It's the history of theater actors being like the dregs of society. Like that, we yeah. still are dealing with that, even though yeah. we are not in Victorian England. Like we are still dealing, Elizabethan England even, we're still dealing with that, um, that stigma of, yeah. of live performance and, and, of, and combined with like, our capitalist United States of America, like, oh, that's not real work, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. We we will uphold the celebrity of movie actors, but then poo-poo the stage actor, which is just mind-blowing to me. It is. Well, especially because all the movie actors want to be on stage, right? Like, that's all they want. It's so funny how it's like the like artistic value is people are like, oh, I'm in a I'm in theater. Like it's so much higher than movies. But like then the culture is like, we're going to pay these people this much and we're going to pay you this much or nothing. <laughs> yep, yep. It's this very strange disconnect, yeah. Yeah, and you know, there, there's probably a way to, to make that divide lesser or to bridge some monetary gaps between those two highly related industries, but um, some, some people who have more ideas than I have would probably need to enter this conversation. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. We got to get, we got to get a lot of people. That's the thing. Like there's power in numbers. I really do think that. And so when we're talking about growing the musical theater writing collective, like the more we grow, the more we bring in other people, the more ideas we'll have, the more resources yes. we'll have because people bring ideas and resources with them. And the more we talk about theater finances, the more we bring people with diverse perspectives into that conversation, the farther we'll get. Absolutely. Yeah. Community. No, it comes back community. To community. It's all, it really does. It really, really does. I remember when I was first uh, tiptoeing back into this industry, I, I was so like, I, that was the biggest thing for me was that I felt so out of the loop because I'd been yeah. out of the industry for a bunch of years and like my husband's in the industry. So I did have some some level of, of connection with, with his people. But I was very much feeling like, oh, I really like, I don't have a community to support me in this journey. Like I need to find a community. And it was a lot of like reaching out and grasping at straws and trying to find people. But like once I put in the work and started finding my people, God, it's made such a difference. It's truly um, 
it's work altering and and career altering both it yeah. is it makes a huge huge difference i mean obviously i believe that because well hi here we are <laughs> <laughs> here um, we are all right lovely so do you mind if i ask you a few wrap-up questions please lovely all right so i have to ask what is your favorite non-musical theater related activity Wow. Um, I don't have a lot of hobbies right now because I have a kiddo instead. Fair. <laughs> um, Doesn't have to be something you do well, often. And also there's been a pandemic the last few years. So I feel like I just haven't been able to do things that I like to do in a long time. Um, I just went into Long Island for a long time, but that's funny. I didn't even grow up on Long Island. <laughs> um, but let me think. Um, God, what are activities that are fun? I don't even remember. I like, do you know what I was just saying? This is like so bougie, but (laughs) I, a thing that I really miss from pre-pandemic days that I hope we get back to at some point is I really miss getting all like dressed up all fancy and going to like a fancy dinner party. That's Um, the thing. I like, I wish that I had more opportunities in my life to do that. And hopefully Mm. I will again, but like, there's just something about like making a night special, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that is that is something that's lovely. And you're right. We don't really get to do things like that much anymore. Yeah. And like here we are in December 2022 and COVID is spiking New York again. Uh, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, and I will say, like, I do try to create my opportunities for that. Like I remember last winter, um, my husband and my in-laws, we we before the pandemic, we went on a couple of cruises together and we would really enjoy the like fancy dress nights. So we just like we're at their house in the middle of a COVID surge and we were like, you know what, we're going to have a fancy dress night like on a cruise. And so we all just dressed up and we made a nice dinner for ourselves or maybe we had it like brought in. I don't remember, but um, that's sweet. But just like, yeah, creating those opportunities when they don't exist. Creating opportunities for oneself. Hmm. I remember. Oh, here's one more anecdote <laughs> about that. I remember when I was in college, I had a wonderful friend. Um, who I loved, who lived on my hall in my dorm. I went to a women's college. I went to Scripps College. It was fabulous. Um, And we had this quiet study room called the browsing room that was like no men allowed, like just quiet study space. It was wonderful. And I walked into the browsing room one afternoon, evening, and I saw my friend Cassie wearing this floor length, like super sexy, red, like formal gown with her hair all did up and her makeup. And I was like, girl, like, where are you going tonight? What are you all dressed up for? And she said to me, this has stuck with me. She said to me, oh, I just really didn't want to study today. So I thought maybe if I dressed up for it, I'd feel more in the mood. (laughs) And I was like, that's amazing. (laughs) Yes, please. Oh, I love that. Yeah. A little bit of self-care yeah. goes a long way. <laughs> yeah, just like make it feel special if you don't want to do it. <laughs> That's so good. I love that. Um, all right. So do you have a story that you know you want to tell that you haven't touched yet? But oh, that I haven't touched yet? But you know you want to tell <clears throat> at some point. Something brewing, something deep. Wow. I have a lot of stories that I want to tell that are in various, um, that are in various stages of the process. Can I talk about one that I am like working on? Please, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's a show that I'm working on 
that it's it's all me. I'm doing book music and lyrics on it. And it actually was kind of the impetus for me taking this songwriting class because I like I got so far on it. And then I was like, mm, I need to learn how to write songs better. Um, yeah. And it, and so now that I've like gotten some of those skills, I've been diving back into it. But it's a 15 minute musical and it's about miscarriage. And it's um, it's a really heavy story mm-hmm. and there's a lot of joy in it. And I'm leaning really hard into um, cyclical, traditional feminine storytelling structures for it, which you know I'm a big, big fan of. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's been such a journey and it continues to be such a journey writing this piece because it is very personal to me. It's based on a personal experience. And it's like... On the what, like, it's not, it's not a vanity project. I hope it finds its audience. I do think there is an audience. I know that there is an audience for it because I know that 20% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. And I know that, like, when I had a miscarriage, what was helpful to me and what surprised me was like every woman in my life coming out of the woodwork and being like, me too, me too. Um, and so I know there's an audience for it, for people to feel seen in a way that they have not felt seen. Cause I've not seen a story like that on stage before. And also it's a hard sell cause it's a musical about miscarriage. So, um, I, yeah, the challenge of that story is figuring out a way to tell it that is commercially palatable when it's really not a commercial show at all. <laughs> but, um, it is a story that I am working on telling and that I'm really, really freaking excited about, like getting it to a point where it's ready to share. That is, that's a beautiful thing to be doing. That is Thanks. wonderful. Um, yeah, I did not know about that project either, but there you go. You. remember when I said you're prolific? <laughs> got a lot of stuff going on I'm busy you do. Yeah. that's that's wonderful though I'm I'm excited for you I'm excited to hear about the development of that thanks that yeah that's... I have a couple songs I'm gonna bring into a lab Ooh, heck yeah Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited I love that so yeah. um and one more one more yeah. uh question for you is there something that you love or that you're proud of you don't get to talk about very often Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I'm so freaking proud of my family. I like, I love, I'm gonna like cry. I love my marriage so much. Like we just are so, we're, we're so, we get along so well. And we and even better than that, like we in the hard times, we like work through them together. And that's really hard. And a thing that like, was, I don't think, modeled super well for either of us growing up, Um, at least not in the way that we want to live our lives and have a marriage. Um, And it's, it's just, it's such a beautiful journey. And like, like getting married and having a kid was never really like, I wasn't like, Oh my God, I really want to get married and have a kid. That wasn't my journey. Um, it kind of came along and I stumbled into it and I'm so glad I did because my marriage is so wonderful. And especially like, I was really nervous coming back into the arts because, um, because it's hard to have a family where, where both people are, are in the arts. Like it's, it's really challenging. And I heard a lot um, when I was working in other industries of like, 
oh, you're so lucky that Amy's not in the arts, right? Mm. Which like was well-meaning and also made it really hard for me. Yeah. (laughs) Come in, but we've been so supportive of each other and it's really added a new layer to our marriage, which is great. And then, oh my God, my freaking daughter is (laughs) one of my favorite people in the whole world. She's amazing. And she's like, she, what I love about her right now where she is, she's four, is that she is so freaking confident in who she is as a person. And she <laughs> like, she will tell these long winded stories that like sort of make sense and sort of don't. And she'll sing these songs that are actually, I think very advanced for a four year old. And like, she doesn't care if you're listening or not. She doesn't care if you like it or not. Like she is living in her world mm-hmm. and inviting you to join her in it. And she's fine either way. And I just, I really admire that about her. And I just think we're a great family. I think we're really lucky to have each other. And if I have a soapbox, that's what I want to use it to shout out. Oh, Amy, what a beautiful answer. <laughs> ah, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Um, my heart, I'm so, just like, I'm so happy for you and so proud of you all. Thank you. Yeah, I think we're really, we got a lot to be grateful for. Yeah. Oh, goodness. My heart. Um, (laughs) Thank you for that nugget. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you for giving me space to brag about my family and my work. Uh, (laughs) Please, anytime. (laughs) I love it. I'm I'm always here to cheer you on. Yay. Um, And yeah, before I ask how people can find you, I we you know what we haven't mentioned? What? <laughs> we're teaching a course together this spring. Oh my god, we're teaching a course together. It's gonna be phenomenal. We're teaching a class about story structure in the spring. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited about it. We're gonna have we more do. information to share starting in January. Yes. yes. Yep. Yeah. And like, oh my God, like if you enjoyed me and Michael being me and Michael during this interview, <laughs> like please sign up for this course because it's going to be a lot more of these shenanigans. Uh-huh. And we're going to like teach about, uh, what I'm really excited about about this course is that we're like, we're teaching about story structure, but mm-hmm. we're not, and we are covering like the traditional musical theater story structures, mm-hmm. but we're also getting into a lot of like creative other ways of, of thinking about structure and approaching structure that I, I hope makes it a lot more um, inclusive and grounded mm-hmm. in the history of storytelling traditions than a lot of musical theater structure resources that I've encountered. Yeah. That's what I'm excited about. What are you excited about? Oh, uh, uh, I mean, a lot of it, I mean, the, the breadth of the info that we're, we're going to be giving, but I think the practical side of it was, yeah. which we, we've been working very hard to build in ways that we are doing practical work together as a group in the actual sessions, but also like in the assignments that we're taking outside of the, the course times as well. I think that there's just not a lot of opportunity to play around with structures that you may or may not be used to and we're just gonna we're gonna explore it's gonna be playing I'm really excited for it like it feels like this class is very grounded in play and we're just gonna like play around with storytelling and have an amazing time so I'm psyched about it yay and I'm so excited to teach with you we're gonna have so much fun we are we're already having so much fun (laughs) planning it it's true (laughs) it's it's a lot of us giggling (laughs) yeah take two storytelling nerds and give them a class (laughs) Uh come join us (laughs) 
Lovely. So, hey, where can everybody find you and your oh work? Where can we gosh. follow you? Yeah, um, you can follow me on my website, amyandrewscreative.com. And I'm on most of my work stuff is on Instagram, which is at Spark of Amy. Um, and it's, yeah, follow me for work updates and for like child updates. That's pretty much (laughs) what my Instagram is right now. Um, and please also check out the women in theater project. We're at, uh, womenintheater.com. Um, and you can follow us on, uh, Facebook and Instagram at women in theater, um, and check out our podcast, which is available on Spotify and Apple podcasts and also on our website. And I will put links to all of that stuff in the description. So you Yay. can just scroll on down and click through, y'all. Yeah. Oh, my God. And come join the Musical Theater Writing Collective because you can find me yes. there, too. Because <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> join us and also come take the course. Yeah, um, do it. Cool. All the fun things. Well, thank you, Amy. Thank you for being here and thank for sharing you. so much about you and your story and your ideas and just what lights you up. I oh, appreciate it's such it. a joy. Thank you for inviting me. It's an honor to be asked. <laughs> and uh, I know it won't be the last time, so. <laughs> uh, and thank you all of you for, for being here with us today. I hope you got some great nuggets out of today's episode. Please do check out all those links in the description below and like and subscribe if you want more content like this. And otherwise, everybody, we'll uh, see you again soon. So cheers, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to Musical Theater Writer Guy, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to rate and review this show as it really helps others to discover what you already know. And please do share this show far and wide so we may all become an even closer musical theater community.